Good morning, students, and welcome to another episode of Legacy Weapon, your guide to legacy. I am Jamie Keller, and on the line, I've got Drew Walton. Hi, Drew. Hi, kids. Hi, Drew. Jesus. Hi, Jamie. <laughs> it's been a long day. Okay. Uh, as, as promised, we have tried again to do a deck tech, and this time we, we think we've succeeded. As we talked about, we had trouble doing the deck techs before. We, we think that these are the meat and potatoes of this show. We want you to find a deck that you like. We want you to be good at that deck and know the ins and outs of it through practice and through talking to us. We want you to be prepared for decks you'll fight against. So you need to have a pretty good idea of what they are. The better you know them, the better the matchups will be. So I think that this is what really is going to be the driving force for planning to do this every other episode. The problem is, this is a jump ahead for those of you who are newer to Legacy and are, are just learning a lot of this stuff for the first time. You know, we're going to be talking about a lot of cards you haven't heard about. We're going to try to go over them as we go, but uh, that's just a little difficult to do. We think we've given you enough background by now that you can keep up and that we can move at a good pace. But there is going to be some stuff that uh, won't make total sense. Uh, we'll talk about a card that's in there to fight against card X that you might not have heard of, and we can't go into every single matchup, because that would take, what, 30 episodes worth of time, and we only have one episode worth of time for episode four. So, that, that is how the math works. Out. Yes. Uh, so, we are going to start to do a deck deck. This first deck deck is going to be my deck, uh, which I've talked about a bit, so now you, you know, the curtain will be revealed, and you can see it's in its full glory. Uh, elves. Now, what I first want to start with uh, before we go into the deck list, and, and Drew, you can you can help out with this because I'm going to probably be talking way too much because I am way too excited about elves. Uh, <laughs> side note: the actual name is Elves! Exclamation point. I don't know why, but it really it feels right. It really does. So whoever yes. did that is, is really smart. Uh, don't say you're playing elves. Say you're playing elves. <laughs> Can you tell us just... Elves! Yeah. Without going into specific cards, what kind of deck is this? What is this deck uh, doing? What's it like? So there's... It's it's kind of a hybrid in a, in a way. Um, it's primarily a combo deck, I think most people would say. But it also, since it runs an extraordinarily high creature count, it can kind of grind out games with just repeated attacks over time, too. But I'd say really, if you're gonna if you're gonna pick one category to put it in, it's a combo deck. Okay. And now, if you can give me your your take on it, because I'm gonna again give my take for a lot of this episode. Why would somebody play elves, or what type of person should play elves, and then why would a person not play elves, or what type of person wouldn't want to play elves? Well, uh, for me, I would say if you if you just hate blue cards, uh, this is maybe the best deck that doesn't run blue. At least it's certainly a strong contender for that title. And it's it's fun. Uh, it does a lot of... It, it has a potential for some very explosive turns and winning in very surprising, splashy ways out of nowhere. It's it's a good deck. If you like winning games, that, that's, that's, huh. a valid, that's a valid reason to play this, this deck, too. It's pretty versatile, and it seems like it's always a player in the metagame that it just it doesn't really... Go away. It has some weaknesses and some bad matchups for sure, but it's it's versatile enough and strong enough that it is usually one of the better decks. Yeah, I, I just took a peek, and as of recording, there's only two decks in the top eight that aren't blue. Right. So all the rest at least run blue a little bit. That's the, if you like playing Force of Will, this is not the deck for you. If you don't want to play Force of Will, this is probably the deck for you. Is kind of where I come from. 
I mean, I have I have my own pet deck that also does not run Force of Will, and I have I have some strong emotional attachment to that deck. Well, uh, you know, there's no but, accounting for taste. But from an objective standpoint, Elves is probably a better deck, at least in the current meta. Other things I will say, uh, as you said, it attacks on a variety of fronts. Uh, it has a combo almost instant win finish. It has slow combo, just grinding card advantage. It has what equates to aggro sometimes, where you're just hitting yeah, with a, a, a two-two on turn two, three two-twos on turn three. You can just do that sometimes. It has a number of cards in it that are very flexible, and you have some cards that count as sort of main deck hate for other types of decks. So yeah. you've already got some cards in there that allow you to deal with things that might shut down other decks. Right. So uh, now that we've given you a tease on, on what it kind of does and why I like it so much, we'll go through the actual list. Uh, it's called Elves, you might guess. It's got a lot of Elves. There's tons of Elves. It has, yeah, it has a lot of Elves. You remember we talked about how in Legacy, creature counts are very low. Usually somewhere between 0 and 12. Is that about right? As I see Sorry. you on my video taking a drink. Uh, go, 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 gobble. Um, yes, uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, some run more than that, but yeah, there are definitely a lot of decks in the single digits. Yeah. Well, I, we are going to go off of a, a stock list here. That means a, a standard list, kind of the, the baseline list, the, the net deck that most people run off of. For elves, there's a pretty standard net deck, uh, and we'll be linking to that in the show notes. This one was come up by Ross Miriam, and a lot of variations. My deck's a little different, but you're not going to play my deck, probably, because the odds of playing me are fairly low unless you live in my house. So... <laughs> Do you live in his house? You should probably let him know. <laughs> so, telling you about the details of my deck, I'll go into that, but really the valuable thing for you to know is what you're going to face at an IQ or at your local store. So, this net deck is mostly what all the decks look like. This list has uh, 30 creatures in it. So literally, nice round number. yeah, nice round number, literally half of the deck instead of zero, two, six, and 12, which are probably about the, where the different decks usually fall on creature counts. So first you've got uh, elves that make mana. You know, that's what you think of when you think of elves. You've got a Deathrite Shaman, which we talked about before, uh, makes mana and also does other stuff. It, the one mana planeswalker, best elf in the deck. Uh, next you have Heritage Druid and Birchlore Rangers, that do similar things when talking about them together. They each don't themselves tap for anything, but they have an ability where you can tap any three elves, including them if you want, to add mana to your mana pool of varying colors and, and quantities. The nice thing is, since it's not an ability with a tap symbol on it, since it just says you have to tap an untapped elf, you can do that to an elf that still has summoning segments. You, can, you don't need haste. They can do that the turn they come into play. So it basically turns all of your elves into elvish mystics with haste. Uh, those are the other uh, best elves in the deck. Uh, next we have the Equirian Ranger, which is a really weird-looking elf, which looks terrible. And I remember playing with it back when it was new in Visions, and it was terrible, and nobody played it. it it's, the, yeah. it's the other best elf in the deck. Uh, <laughs> it, it has an ability where you can bounce a forest to your hand, that's the cost of the ability, and untap a target creature. Do this once per turn. Why this is really valuable will come into play later, but this not only is an elf, so it taps for those other creatures, it untaps a creature, like your Deathrite Shaman or these other elves, to make more mana. It also can, if you're stuck on lands, bounce a forest and replay it. 
I've plenty of times had turn one forest, query and ranger, turn two, tap the forest, bounce the forest, replay the same forest. And that's how I get two mana on turn two, even though I don't have a second land in hand. Uh, then you get a heritage druid, then now you have three more mana, and yeah, oh no, well then, goes to tap. well, well, no, you play two heritage druids, then you tap all three of those, you have three more mana, then you play three more heritage druids. <laughs> Magical Christmas land, in which you have five heritage druids in your deck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the next elf that we have is uh, Elvish Visionary, two mana for a one one. When it comes into play, draw a card. It's a tiny little guy, usually worthless, draws you a card. But he's an elf, so he taps for mana now. And he interacts great with the next card, Wirewood Symbiote, the other best elf in the deck. And it's not even an elf. It's still just insect. A, it's an insect. But yeah. it has an ability, like Quirion Ranger, where you bounce, instead of a forest, bounce an elf to your hand to untap target creature. Do this once per turn. That's a lot better than it sounds, and it's hard to really put into succinct words how good that is. The easy way, the, the easiest thing to do with it is bounce your Elvish Visionary. So you play the Elvish Visionary, bounce it to your hand with the Wirewood Symbiote, replay it. You now just drew two extra cards this turn, and you can do that every turn. And you can bounce a creature on your opponent's turn also. You can use it once per turn. Now on your opponent's turn, bounce the Visionary. Next turn, play it, bounce it, play it, pass the turn. Huge card draw engine right there. Makes extra mana by untapping your other elves. And the nice thing, if somebody attacks with, say, a big creature, or a creature with lifelink, or a creature with equipment on it that's just going to wreck your day, you can block with an elf, bounce that elf to your hand before damage is dealt with, with the Wirewood Symbiote, and then take no damage. The thing deals no damage, they gain no life, no equipment triggers, and you get to just laugh and laugh and laugh. Yeah. It's a trick that people really don't see coming, and it just it shuts down whole decks sometimes. This this deck is all about the onboard tricks. Things yeah. that, honestly, on the other side, uh, uh, you can see exactly what's able to be done, but it's just intricate synergies. Every single card in here works with every single other card. You draw two creatures, they're going to do something good together. The the, the last elf, uh, the other best elf in the deck, is Nettle Sentinel. Uh, Nettle Sentinel, one, one mana for a 2-2. Two -two. Great. Doesn't untap bad, but it has the special ability, every time you cast a green spell, it untaps. Spoiler, there are a lot of green spells in this deck. <laughs> yep. So, in I don't think there are any non-green spells in the deck. Not in the main board, there's a few not on the, the side. Board, but uh, yeah. So in theory, that's just a 2-2 two -two creature that you're supposed to attack with, and yeah, you have to keep feeding its spells to keep it attacking. And we sometimes use that. As I said, some hands will just be full of creatures, and you'll just start attacking and, and hope to get there quickly or at least whittle them down so you can get there other ways later. But you remember how we said Birch Lore Rangers let all your other elves tap for mana with haste? All right, well, tap the Nettle Sentinel for mana, then play something with that mana, untap the Nettle Sentinel, tap it again, play another elf, untap it again. Those are the other best friend team. Uh, this right. deck just has so many uh, things that work together like that. That, that's that's sort of the combo engine yep. there. This is how you end up playing a large chunk of your deck. We haven't even gotten to the com There's two different, quote, combos, and that's not counting the Wirewood Symbiote Elvish Visionary, which I think is a combo. I think drawing three cards a turn counts as a combo. That's pretty good. Yeah. But uh, there are two full-out combo cards, and we'll get to those when we get to the spells. Uh, the, the last creatures are two Dryad Arbors. 
a very strange card from Future Sight. They are a forest dryad creature, which means they're a 1-1 forest. They take up your land drop for the turn, but they have summoning sickness. You can tutor them up with a search for your library for a forest. Or for a creature. Or for a creature. They are a zero mana creature, which becomes relevant in a minute. You remember how we have uh, the Quirion Rangers that can bounce a forest? And you remember how we talked about blocking and then bouncing? Well, now you can block with your Dryad Arbor and bounce the Dryad Arbor. Another way to just completely nullify whatever your opponent's attacking with. Uh, there are eight creatures in this deck that basically say that your opponent's biggest creature doesn't get to deal any damage when it attacks. Right. It's it's murderous when you're trying to race. Well, it, it, and that's, that's huge. It, you, that really defends you well, but even better than that, it stops their shenanigans. Like I said, some of the biggest problems for this deck are equipment that do special things when they deal damage. Well, <laughs> no, you don't You don't get that anymore. Moving over to the spells, we have uh, four Green Sun Zeniths, uh, a green and an X. Search your library for a green creature, mana cost X or less, put it into play. This is uh, honestly my favorite spell in the deck, just because it turns into whatever you need it to. You know, if you have an Elvish Visionary and you just need something to start bouncing him, pay two mana, go get a Wirewood Symbiote. If you have a bunch of Nettle Sentinels and you need a way to start making some mana, go get a Birchlore Ranger. It is whatever you need it to be. And the tricky thing is that uh, you can cast it with X equals zero and get a Dryad Arbor. So basically you can turn the Green Sun Zenith into an Elvish Mystic, if that's what you need to do. Usually you want Ramp- rampant growth for one mana. Yeah. Oh, rampant growth for one mana. That's an even better way to think about it. Another nice thing, Green Sun Zenith actually reshuffles itself into your library when you cast it. So every time you cast it, your library just gets a little bit more chock full of things to do. It's almost never a bad card to have. No, I I have almost never sideboarded out Green Sun Zenith, and, and whenever I do, it's very hesitantly and because of very specific uh, opponents. The, the other two spells are the combo spells. One is called Glimpse of Nature. This was kind of the original combo uh, that was used when Elves got started in Legacy. One green mana sorcery. Until end of turn, whenever you cast a creature spell, draw a card. So that sounds great. You know, you play it, you empty your hand. Fine. Well, now you're drawing extra cards, and the things you're playing now all have effectively hasty mana abilities because of your Virtual Rangers and your Heritage Druids. So you can play creatures, tap those creatures, play more creatures, draw more cards. Untap your Nettle Sentinels. Untap your Nettle Sentinels. Play those more creatures, untap your Nettle Sentinels again, draw more cards. More mana. Yep. And, you know, if you get stuck and you just don't have any other creatures in hand, use your Wirewood Symbiote to bounce creatures to your hand and replay those creatures while simultaneously untapping your mana elves to get more mana to play those creatures. And keep drawing more cards and then hopefully find more creatures to keep keep the... The carousel going around. If you get halfway through and you happen to draw another glimpse of nature, play two. Now every creature draws you two cards. Yeah. Uh, this is a very powerful card, uh, and that's that's kind of the best case scenario. That that best case scenario happens regularly. Like it's not uncommon at all to get at least six cards off of this, and I've gotten thirty sometimes. That's that's definitely something I've seen happen. Yes. Uh, that is not to say though that you have to hold out for that. I do really like, if you've just got a slow hand and you need to get moving quicker, play it, play two elves, draw two cards, and, and move on. Pass. If you, One mana, draw two cards, last I heard, is pretty good. Yeah, or, or even three. I mean, it's, if you do this and you only get three, you're not going to feel great about that, because this is your big combo turn, 
But one mana draw three cards is a card called Ancestral Recall that's banned in everything. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, it's ridiculous just how uh, a value glimpse of nature can just be good. Uh, a lot of times people will counterspell the glimpse of nature, and that's unfortunate because you'd rather be able to do it, but that doesn't mean if you have a spell that's really important that's going to win you the game, maybe just play a glimpse of nature first to give them something to use their counterspells on, and then play your important spell afterwards. Uh, that important spell might often be the the third spell. There's only three spells a main board. Uh, the third one's called Natural Order. Four mana sorcery. As an additional cost, sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a green creature card of any mana cost and put it directly into play. This is how you can have turn two wins. You well, well with some difficulty, but some uh, fine. Get technical, but uh, <laughs> th- this is a very powerful spell. And and, yeah. and if you're playing against this and you have discard abilities, this is never a bad thing to pick. This is probably the card you get rid of if it's a card, if it gets cast. This is definitely. A force of will target. Yes. Nothing good ever happens after the Elves player resolves in natural order. The thing you're usually getting with the natural order is the only creature I haven't talked about yet because it wouldn't have made sense till now. Crater Hoof Behemoth. It is eight mana. So, you know, you can, as I said, get enough mana to hard cast it from your hand. You can get nine mana to get a green sun zenith. Usually you're using just four mana to get it into play off a natural order. Crater Hoof Behemoth is one of about three green creatures with haste. It, yep. It's a 5-5 five, five with haste, and when it comes into play, all of your creatures, including Crater of Behemoth, get plus X, plus X until end of turn, and trample, where X is the number of creatures you control. So if you've got three creatures, well, now you've got, instead of a 1-1, one, one, a 1-1, one, one, and a 5-5, five, five, you've got a 4-4, four, four, a 4-4, four, four, and an 8-8, eight, eight, and they all have trample. And, yep. and that's if you only have two other creatures in play when you cast him, because he does count himself. If you've been playing this and maybe cast a Glimpse of Nature, or it's turn three, you're going to have more than two elves in play. Right. Uh, this usually ends the game. You usually plop this down, give your team plus 10, plus 10 trample, and your opponent scoops. It really only takes often one elf that can attack, and then the greater huff yeah. to end the game. That, that, is, that, is, that is an important note. It's a very efficient win condition. Yeah, that, that is an important note. He does not give your other creatures haste. So I, I've had it plenty of times where I'm going on a really strong glimpse of nature chain, and I've got, you know, ten creatures in play, and I'm just still going. But nine of those ten just came into play this turn off of this glimpse of nature chain. So, you know, if I play Crater Hoof, I can only attack with the Crater Hoof and one other creature. So I really need to get up to maybe 20 creatures in play just to guarantee that even if they kill one of my guys, I'll still get through for the damage that turn. It, it is something I've done it for non-lethal. Where, you know, you add it up and, okay, I can do 15 damage this turn. Well, you don't like giving your opponent an extra turn to try to come back, but you just dealt them 15 damage, and now you've got a 5-5. Five, five. And you vomited, like, 30 creatures on the board. <laughs> Even not that. Even if I just have two elves in play, if I don't have a good plan for the rest of the turn, sometimes I'll just slap down a crater hoof, attack with my three for, you know, about 15 yeah. damage, and that feels bad, because crater hoof's supposed to win you the turn instantly, maybe they're going to have an answer. But you did just attack for 15, and now you have a 5-5 five, five, and some other stuff. You're probably going to win the next turn. Yeah, you're probably going to win the next turn. So that sets you up to win next. So that is honestly the game plan. Uh, and I can't tell whether I just made it sound infinitely complicated and unintelligible or, or just very simple. Make, make elves, make mana, cast a big guy, and win. There's a fair amount of finesse to it, but it is pretty much that straightforward. Yeah, it, 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 that's how it looks. It looks that straightforward, and to a certain extent it is. The hard thing is just squeaking out tiny, tiny advantage that you don't even really see. Get, 
getting four mana out of your elves instead of three mana. Figuring out exactly how to draw one extra card that might be a creature, so maybe you get one more draw off the Glimpse of Nature that maybe will chain into another. All these little, little things really add up. Yeah, optimal sequencing is, is a little tricky with it. The the land base includes... I'm going to start with the, the big hitter. The, the big reason this deck works, and my favorite card, Gaius Cradle. Gaius Cradle is just amazing. It's a legendary land. <laughs> uh, says, tap. Add green mana to your mana pool, one for each creature you control. Now, some, yep. sometimes that's a downside. If you play it on turn one, you get no mana off it. And, and so that's a risk. This deck mulligans a lot, because if your opening hand is Gaius Cradle, Gaius Cradle, and Elves, you can't start. You need something else to start with. Nonetheless, this is an amazing card. You, you bomb it out five Elves, and now you have one land that taps for five, yep. and I've had a lot bigger than that. This is how you hard cast Crater Hoof Behemoth on turn three. Right. Again, it's a super broken card. <laughs> it's impossible to over overhype this thing. The nice thing is, uh, with the way the legendary rule works, you can't have two in play at the same time. So that's too bad. But if you play a second one, you get to choose which one to sacrifice. So if I've got five creatures in play, tap the guy's cradle, float the five mana, play my land for the turn of a new guy's cradle, sacrifice the tapped one, tap my new one. Now I've got. 10 mana on turn three. Uh, now your green sun is for Crater Hoof and you win. Yep. Uh, now, the, the the rest of the mana base, you run a, a lot of fetch lands with this, and, and there's two reasons for that. One is that you, you really need to be able to reach your forest, and you need to be able to reach your green-black dual lands. Uh, most of the black is for the sideboard, but it also fuels your Deathrite Shaman's uh, pinging ability of just hitting your opponent to the head and also getting bad stuff out of their graveyard with flashback and whatnot. So you need to be able to have access to that. So this list runs 10, but that, that is uh, important. If you don't have fetch lands, Deathrite Shaman becomes debatably unplayable. And like I said, he actually is one of the best cards in your deck because of his ability to do damage without attacking, his ability to survive uh, one damage because he has two toughness, his ability to gain life and get creatures out of graveyards in case you're playing somebody who wants to uh, reanimate creatures from out of their graveyard. He's amazing. He needs lands in your in your graveyard to function. Deathrite is almost the only card in the main board of this deck that sees play it, in, in any other deck. A number in any other in, legacy like, deck. None of these see any play. Uh, I think I've seen Gaia's Cradle as a one of sometimes on fringe decks. And that's it. Like my deck. Yeah. Well, and, and Dryad, Dryad Arbor also sees very limited play in very... There actually is a fair num- fair, there's actually a fair amount of overlap, actually, between your deck and my deck, uh, running cards that don't see play anywhere else in Legacy, yeah. now that I think about yeah, it. Yeah, the only difference is uh, mine are good. Ouch. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to yours later, but Jukabog is nice, and I, I, I'm envious sometimes. But uh, th- that is that is for another podcast. The things you're searching for, as I said, are forests and the green-black duels, bayous. Uh, the stock list has two forests and two bayous. Usually your turn one is going to be fetch land. Go get a basic forest. It, the bayou is better, but it, say you play uh, fetch land, go get a bayou, and play a creature. Well, if they play a wasteland, kill your land, play a spell, kill your creature, you're now dead on board with, with nothing to do, perhaps. Well, it'd be a little hard for them to play a wasteland. Well, I guess if they want to play. Yeah, well... It, I've had it happen to me once, where, you know, turn one they had planes, I drop a bayou and a creature, I kill the creature, drop a wasteland, kill my land, and now I have no mana. 
yeah. get the force. Four turns later, you've played no more spells and you lose the game. Yeah. Yeah. You'll know in game two whether your opponent is playing things that punish non-basic lands or not, whether they have wastelands. But in game one, always get a forest first if you can possibly help it. Right. Cause especially since you have so few black spells in your main board. Right. You don't really need the black in game one anyway. Um, the nice thing is that if you really need black, say, say they kill both of your black lands, and they also stop you on the ground, so your only way to win is Deathrite Shaman, well, you can activate his black man ability off of Birchlore Rangers that can make mana of any color, or off of a second Deathrite Shaman, which can make mana right. himself of any color, or off of himself if you're using Query and Ranger Wirewood Symbiote. I, right. I have definitely done it where I go, you know, tap a Deathrite Shaman for black, Query and Ranger, untap him. Use the black and the Deathrite Shaman to do something, untap him with a Wirewood Symbiote. Tap him again. Yep. So the same one guy <laughs> has activated twice on one turn while right. also fueling his own mana. So that that is the main board. The 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 sideboard has some variation. It's not quite as. Did we, did we mention Reclamation Sage? I, I was, I'm going to get to that actually. It's the first one in the sideboard. Okay. I have that in my okay. main board. Uh, Reclamation Sage is a three mana for a two one elf, and it says when it enters play, destroy target artifact or enchantment. It's pretty great. It is pretty great. Deceptively simple, but very strong. Uh, I have it main board. And, and I think since this stock list went up, it has actually become normal to have that in the main board because there are just a lot of artifacts and enchantments running around that cause problems. And because you have so many search spells, it's just so great to have this. Right. Spell. You only need one because by having one in your deck, every Green Sun Zenith can get this guy. If you really need it, Natural Order can get this guy. So uh, you effectively have nine of him in your deck just by including yeah. one. It's, it's, it's sometimes called a toolbox, where you'll have lots of one-ofs and ways to search for them. So whatever you need, you can get the answer for that. You know, you need to take out their graveyard, go natural order up a Deathrite Shaman. Or, uh, I, I've done it. Sometimes it's the right answer. So Reclamation Sage is, is the first thing on the sideboard. Uh, I have it main. Next is a Pithing Needle. One mana for an artifact. When it comes into play, name a card. That card's activated abilities cannot be played. Unless they're mana abilities. Unless they're mana abilities, that's right. I, I have had a lot of people try to name uh, Virtual Rangers. Guy's Cradle. Guy's yeah. Cradle, yeah. No, it doesn't do that. Yeah. This fixes a lot of problems. This is kind of just a, a catch-all. Planeswalkers. Okay, well, now your Planeswalker can't use his loyalty abilities. Uh, equipment. Well, now you can't equip your equipment. Right. Or anything else you're having problems with. A, a creature that deals direct damage to other creatures is really difficult for you because all your creatures are pretty fragile and you kind of need to build up a, a critical mass of creatures. Right. Some uh, combo wins, too. Just yep. need to have an activated ability to go off. So yeah, I, I shuts those decks off. I run two, just because it comes in against so many different things. Next, uh, Scavenging Ooze. Two mana for an ooze. <laughs> it's a 2-2 creature, and it has an ability that for one green mana, exile target card from any graveyard. If it's a creature, you gain a life, and he gets a plus one, plus one counter. This serves two purposes. Uh, the main purpose is graveyard hate. Uh, if you're playing against somebody who needs their graveyard, who's doing crazy things out of their graveyard, you've already got four Deathrite Shamans in the main board, so you're probably okay, but this is... Drew, I, I mean, you called him the most efficient graveyard hate creature that exists, and you might be right. I think it's the most effective graveyard hate card in green. Um, I think you're right in green. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty good. I, there are plenty of times though where you'll also 
have him, and you'll just start eating creatures to gain life if you need to, or to get him huge. Somebody's attacking with a Tarmogoyf, a a 4-5. Well, okay, eat all the creatures. Now he's only a 3-4. And now your guy's a 6-6. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Next is a a Sylvan Library, 2 mana for an enchantment. I love this card so much. Yeah, this is a great card. It's actually worded very complicated, but to summarize, (laughs) in your draw step, draw three cards. Then take two of them and put them back on your library. So you get basically to just get better card selection to pick out of the top three cards of your library, which one you want to draw. Or you can pay four life per card, per card. to draw to keep those cards in your hand. So it doesn't come in against every deck. Some decks are just attacking you or hitting you with burn spells, and, and you can't pay four life. And it's not really or, worth the card just for the slightly or, better selection. Or if they're really fast decks... Yeah, the additional card selection, because it doesn't do anything the turn you cast it. Right. So you need to be playing this in fairly grindy matchups in order to get much advantage out of it. But if you're playing against a control deck, which do give us some problems, they're not attacking your life total. They're planning to win on turn 20. So you can just... This frequently just says draw like eight cards. Yeah, you, you can just draw three cards every turn until your life total gets to four, and then just stop then. Uh, but you've just dug deep in your deck. And you still, even after that, get to keep looking at the top three. And then maybe crack a fetch land to reshuffle your library to get a new three to look at. It's great. This is basically the green brainstorm. Yeah, it, it basically turns every draw step into a brainstorm. Or if you don't care about your life total, turns every draw step into an ancestral recall. Yep, yep. <laughs> green, green can draw cards, who knew? Yep. The, the, the next three are kind of other catch-alls just to sob opponents, and, and, and they just each solve a lot of problems. First is Abrupt Decay, green and a black. Destroy target non-land permanent with converted cat mana cost three or less. Uh, you remember how we said that mana costs are very, very uh, difficult in Legacy. If it costs four, it's probably not getting played. That means this hits almost everything. Yep. Uh, really, really, the only things that this doesn't hit that I can think of are Jace the Mind Sculptor and... The thing that is winning in a combo deck. And lands. And, but well, we don't need to. There are decks that where lands are actually extremely problematic. That is true. Like, deck lands. There's a deck just called lands. I feel like that one should have a question mark afterwards. <laughs> the, the, the next, uh, in this list is six, and I have six in mine, are, are discard spells. One big weakness of elves is it has no counter spells. It has no way to stop a turn one combo fast card win, or a turn two super spell chain drop a giant fatty. You can't stop those things once they're happening, so your best bet is to try to make them discard these spells before they're a problem. This list runs uh, for uh, two Thossies, one black mana. You pick what card they discard, and you pay two life. And for Cabal Therapy, strange old card, one black mana, name a card, before looking at their hand. Then they show their hand and discard all copies of that card. This is probably the most skill-intensive card in the deck, and I am not great at it yet. It might be the most skill-intensive card in Magic. I actually think you might be right. Uh, it, it, it's not done that yet, though. Uh, you know, If that were it, it would be probably worse, because sometimes you're going to guess correctly, uh, or have looked at it previously, and you know that they've got two copies of a thing, and you make them discard both of them. But uh, the benefit is it has flashback, and the cost is sacrificing a creature. 
So, if you on turn one, cast a creature, turn two, Cabal Therapy, name something, then sacrifice the creature to cast Cabal Therapy again, and now you know exactly what to name, because you just saw their hand. And the, the thing is, you won't, this is in the sideboard, so it's not in your main board. Right. So, game one, this is not usually that great, because often you're kind of guessing at what their deck is, right. and what they have. Game two, game three, you've seen some of their deck, and you have a better idea of what you might want to go for. Yeah, the, the two ways to use Cabal Therapy are, one, to think about what they're likely to have. If you're on the play, and they're a blue deck, and they kept their opening seven, well, they probably have uh, Brainstorm in their opening hand. Brainstorm is a good reason for them to have kept that hand, so you're probably going to hit at least one card if you just name Brainstorm blind. The other way is to name whatever card you don't want them to have. If you're right. a force of will, force of will. If you are about to win, and the only card that stops you is force of will, name it. It doesn't matter if they have it. If they don't have it, that's even better because now you're going to win. I, I remember a story. Somebody was saying they they cast this, and you know they named force of will, and the guy cast force of will to counter his cabal therapy. All right, fine. <laughs> this happens. He then flashed it back and said, "I name force of will again." And, yep. well, it turns out he had a second Forcible in his hand, and that's why he was trying to protect it. And that is the only card that would have stopped him from winning the game. He, was it likely that he had a second one? No. But that was the only spell he cared about. Right. The, the other sideboard options are uh, mostly other creatures to play, uh, usually in addition to Crater Hoof Behemoth. Depending on who you're playing against, a lot of time people will side out one of your two Crater Hoofs and side in something else that, that helps. Because, uh, you know, a Crater Hoof on turn two might not win you the game, because he might only come in with one other guy and just, you know, attack once big and then just be a 5-5 a five, five on turn two, which is great, but is not always going to win. Uh, one card is Progenitus, a 10-10 that costs 20 mana, two of each color. You're, That's 10 mana. One of us was a math major, and one of us was... <laughs> Ten mana, two of each color. You're you're not casting this out of your hand. If you have this in your opening hand, you have terrible luck. And I always seem to have it in my opening hand. But you can fetch it up because it's green with green sun zenith or natural order. It's a ten ten protection from everything. That's protection from everything is maybe my favorite line of text on a magic card. It, for me, it's tied with end the turn. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty wonderful. Just protection from everything is word for word what the card says. So that means it has protection from instants and sorceries and enchantments and blue, red, white. Uh, it has protection from your opponent's creatures. It has protection from your opponent. Yeah, it does have protection from you. I have uh, tried to uh, and failed to untap my own progenitus once. Yep. <laughs> you and you can't do that because you can't target your own guy, which can be a problem. But really, you, you don't really care if you're attacking with your ten ten unblockable. Right. You, you probably you don't be winning whatever race it is that you're, you're in. Right. And, and so th this comes in uh, against any kind of fair deck that's going to just try to win slowly with creatures or going to try to kill your creatures with targeted spells. Or any deck that plays show and tell. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that's an interesting interesting thing, actually. We'll get to that in a second. Um, so so that, that's one option. Uh, another one that I actually run a copy of in my main board is called Rurthar. Uh, he's a red-green creature for six mana, so you can cast him, because, you know, Birchlow Ranger's death right. You can make red some ways. He is a 6-6? Six, six? Uh, wait, how big is he? He's a 6-6. Six, 6-6. Six. Six, six. He is a 6-6. Six, six. Reach, Vigilance, must attack each turn if able. He also has an ability that whenever a player, including you, plays a non-creature spell, he deals six damage to them. 
you have a lot of creatures. Yeah, it's it, it makes it very hard for you to cast your Green Sun Zenith, but if you get this guy down on turn two, you're hitting with a 6-6, six, six, and half of your deck is creatures. Your opponents, with their Brainstorms, and their Force of Wills, and their Lightning Bolts... They're all terrible cards now. Yeah, those are... You can't take six damage to draw a card. That's just not going to work if that's all your <laughs> deck is doing. So he, he is wonderful in some matchups. Uh, I do side him out a lot, but he really he is great to pull up sometimes and just win some games. Uh, another option that's not listed on this list that we're linking you to uh, is Ren's Run Packmaster. Actually sees some play. Some people love the guy. I, I don't currently run him. But he is a... Uh, pulling him up right five, now. 5-5 five, five for 4. He, yep, he's a 5-5 five, five for 4. Uh, for Champion and Elf. Champion and Elf, uh, which means that when he comes into play, you have to exile an Elf that you control besides him. And when he dies, that Elf gets to come back. So he, he kind of just puts somebody else in limbo for a while. And he has an ability of 3 mana, put a 2-2 green wolf creature token into play, and these wolves have death touch. All so, your have death touch, in case you have other wolves right here. Yeah. So hey. the, this seems really weird. When I heard it, I actually thought it was a joke, but it works a lot better than you'd think. It, it gives you some protection against... Uh, kill spells or board wipes. Because if you play this and they wipe your board, well, you at least get your one elf back that you championed. So you can start over with something, and hopefully you championed an elf visionary who now now returns to play again and will untap you, uh, or will draw you a card. Uh, Another really great thing to do against this is there are some decks that run board wipes, kill your whole board with one card, and those are problematic. Because you can either play really slow, which is what they want because they're a slow control deck, or you can play really fast, try to win, and occasionally just run into their kill-all creature and get five for one. To eight for one. Eight for or one. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. This guy, if you drop this guy on turn two or three, he's the only one you need because he's just going to keep making wolf tokens. And you can just build up more creatures in your hand for if they ever do go ahead and wipe the board and have him just take over the game. And it, it ramps up pretty nicely with uh, Guy's Cradle, too. Yep, Guy's Cradle uh, then becomes exponential because every creature gets you more mana and every mana gets turned into more creatures. It is also kind of nice to have a Green Sun Zenith target that's in the middle range, you know, more than two but less than eight. So that's a reason why some people run it. Uh, the the last one that sees common play as a target is World Spine Worm. This is uh, eleven mana. It's all <laughs> it's all green and colorless though. I you you can hard cast this off of a Guy's Cradle and all these little happy guys. Uh, this is a 15-15 trample. It's a big creature. Yep, it's a big creature. And when it dies, put three 5-5 five, five trample creatures into play. So he basically just falls apart uh, like a reverse Voltron and makes 15 damage spread out amongst three guys. Beyond being really, really good, uh, this guy comes in against a card called Show and Tell. Now, we're not going to go into every single card that you're bringing these in against, every single graveyard card, but Show and Tell says every player gets to take a card from their hand, and put it into play. The simplified oh. version. Uh, so your opponent's going to be putting in something ridiculous. It's going to be Emrakul. It's Emrakul or Grizzlebrand. It's one of those two. But if it's, it's Emrakul, Emrakul is a 15-15 that when he attacks, you basically have to sacrifice most, if not all, of your permanents. This flat-out beats that, and you just get to giggle. If they play that, they slap down their Emrakul, you slap down this guy. Show and tells a sorcery. Next turn, you attack with your fifteen fifteen. If they block Grizzle, with... Grizzlebrand is a fifteen fifteen. Yep. You can actually block and kill the Rosebine Worm. But yep. But then... But you have fifteen power still on the board. They have nothing. 
Exactly. Uh, either they block, leaving you with 15 power and then with nothing, or they don't block, they take 15, they attack you the next turn, you sacrifice your world spine worm, and now you still have 15 to attack them on, on the crackback. And kill them. Uh, and kill them, because now they're only yeah. at 5 life. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it does kind of show how bad the matchup is against Show and Tell that they You're bringing in a card that's that janky for that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, it, I mean, it's good against a lot of stuff. It fills kind of the same role as Progenitus. It's really, really a question, are you more worried about show and tell, in which case you want World Spine Worm, or are you more worried about Swords to Plowshares, exiling your creature, in which case you want Progenitus? Because if World Spine Worm gets exiled, you don't get your tokens. Progenitus you can't gain 15 life, which is okay. But Gaining 15 life seems nice, but if they're then attacking for 15 or doing something else, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't help. Uh, Progenitus can't be targeted with that, because it has protection from instance, and protection from white. So, I, I prefer Progenitus, even though you can't cast it from your hand, just because I see a lot of people playing white, and not many people playing, uh, show and tell. But that might be different where you live, and that's something where you have to kind of look at your, your local metagame. Uh, one other card that I know sees some play is Choke. It's a three-man enchantment that says, I hate islands. <laughs> uh, which I basically be the card text, yes. Yeah, uh, it says islands don't untap, and you might notice as we've talked about, islands are pretty good. Blue cards are pretty good. Yeah. This includes all of the dual lands that are islands, so volcanic island or tropical island or underground sea. Now they all don't untap. Uh, yeah, this is miserable to play against if you're playing that because probably all, maybe all but one of your lands are an island something. So. Uh, that's really good. Uh, another one is called Null Rod, and uh, this is a an artifact that says artifact-activated abilities can't be activated. This is really good against some matchups. Some matchups have a lot of artifacts, a lot of different equipment. Uh, I like Pithing Needle more, because the odds that I have two different artifacts that I'm trying to stop is usually pretty low. Uh, it's much more likely that I have uh, an artifact and a Planeswalker, and it's nice to be able to name whichever one they happen to play first. So... Personal preference there. I want to stop us right here uh, before we go any further and give a thanks to our sponsor. Uh, this sponsor is a little bit different as this is a, a, a public institution rather than a, a, a private institution. The Taurus Bureau of Theros wants to make sure that you are aware of the Mana Confluence. Most people think of it as a, a tumultuous place, uh, a place of power. Nobody thinks about its beauty. Nobody thinks about the rainbows. Come take a cruise down the Mana Confluence. Come on and see our tourist booths. Our knickknacks are just swell and handcrafted by, well, returned, so don't worry about them. But <laughs> and you, you can see the, the blue skies, the, the green waters, the black shadows, the white mist, and the red water cause blood in the water. <laughs> uh, and it... it, it and if you look down into that middle hole where all the colors merge, the insanity you'll get by staring into the abyss is free. And you're very unlikely to fall in. Uh, they, they built a railing after the first 12 people <laughs> fell in. Come on down to the Manicon. Now, the cruises are only one life. Take a real treasure cruise. It's a real treasure cruise. Um, so, you know, a lot of decks, if you pass offsies against them, <clears throat> a lot of combo decks are going to have a problem with that. Because if you get rid of their one combo piece, it may take them a while to dig for something. And Elvis has a lot more redundancy between its combo pieces, and so it's, it's a lot harder to just follow 
sees out that one card. Elves could probably come up with something with another way to win. Right. I, I've had a lot of times where, you know, turn one thought sees they take my glimpse of nature that I was counting on comboing out on turn two with. And that's unfortunate. So I'll have to go to my backup plan and drop four elves by turn two. And that's my backup plan. Yeah. And then just start attacking with my one ones and two twos and just wait for a natural order to win the game. But at least you're still Ooh. doing stuff where a lot of combo decks, Ex- they're not doing anything unless they're comboing. Exactly. Every card here is a live card. Uh, well, what you say some of the weaknesses of the deck are? Um, that it is, as you say, a, a sort of slower com- a sort of slower combo deck. I mean, if, if somebody's going to go off on turn one, you're not stopping that probably. Um, at least not in, not on the not on the draw. And but it is nonetheless a combo deck. So certain metagames can be a little hostile to combo in general. And in, it. It does have that backup plan, but it isn't, that isn't the most efficient way that the deck works. You, you do want to be trying to combo out. There are better ways to win by attacking creatures than playing elves. Um, right. Yeah. Well, one ones for one are not the, the best way. Yeah, there are, there are better rates in terms of uh, damage per, year, per mana uh, in creatures. Some of the other threats I would say would be uh, board wipes uh, of any well, sort. It, it does have... Yeah, some vulnerability to some things like that. Yeah. It, it 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 does. As you said, it, it's harder to hate out with just like one card that does it. Like you know, it's not a graveyard deck where a single kill your graveyard card will just end the game. But you know, if you have a terminus, wipe the board of all creatures. If you have a Golgari charm, all creatures get minus one minus one. That's going to kill most of your board. If you have pyroclasm, uh, and pyroclasm, all creatures take two damage. Is the card I most fear seeing, honestly. It's Engineer Plague. Yeah. yeah. And Engineer Plague. All elves get minus one, minus one. Right. That's an enchantment. Yeah. Yep. That just sticks around. There are a lot of ways that cards that hate this deck out. The thing is that most of those don't work against most of the other decks. You know, most of these cards aren't going to stop the blue combo decks. Right. So uh, an opportunity for this deck would be a time when there's not as much fast combo. Because as you said, that's, that's something that it can't really beat. So if you see that there's not a lot of fast combo going on, well, then the, the fact that you can't win or stop a turn one win doesn't matter. An, another opportunity is uh, any time that Force of Will is big. Force of Will is always big, but sometimes those decks are played more. And yeah, you, you hate to see Force of Will get played against you. But if they counter your creature, they've used up their Force of Will, and used up another card in their hand to take out one of your creatures or one of your spells. And you just are so threat-dense. That's not even them trading off one for one. That's you getting a two for one. That's like you paid one mana to make them discard two cards. That's a great rate. I would pay one mana to make my opponent discard two cards all day long. And pay a life. And pay a life, yep. (laughs) Deal deal one damage and they discard two cards. That's great. So just that kind of resiliency to some of the bigger boogeymen of the format. Another opportunity is what's known as fair decks. As we said, there's really not such a thing as a fair deck in Legacy. Right. But a, a deck that's not comboing out, uh, a deck that is going to play creatures and attack with them, this deck's probably going to do better than that. With the ability to block and bounce, so you can just stop their attacks. With your ability to just get bigger than them with trample. Your ability to gain life, to ping them, to do all kinds of stuff, you're probably going to beat those decks with the inevitability. Some of the, the threats, though, uh, and this all kind of circles back, would be uh, if the metagame shifts and there's a lot of fast combos. If the metagame shifts and 
like it recently had, there's lots of 1-1s running around. If the blue decks are also just full of 1-1 tokens off of a young pyromancer. Right. Then And now and so now everybody's got pyroclasm yeah. <laughs> and, and Golgari charm and self persecution. Yeah. Suddenly. If you're if you're seeing everyone playing those cards, this deck becomes a lot worse. It, it almost becomes a, a collateral damage from hating on these other small creature decks. Right. So this is best when it's the only small creature deck in the format, because people aren't going to sideboard usually specifically against elves. One other threat is uh, if everybody else is playing one-mana spells, we mentioned there's there's a Chalice of the Void, two-mana, counter all spells that cost one mana. You, you might have noticed uh, almost all of our spells cost one mana. Yep. It, that is not unbeatable, because you can go fetch up your Reclamation Sage for three or four mana if you're using Green Sun Xena. But that really is going to put a put a hamper on you. So if the format's full of one mana creatures, again, your collateral damage. Where now everybody's playing this hate card that just happens to destroy your deck. That is sort of a general concept of legacy. You kind of you don't want to be doing exactly what everybody else is doing. Yeah, yeah. You, you want to make sure that you are either playing the best deck or a very different deck. If you're playing a deck that's similar to the best deck, <laughs> that means you're slightly worse. And all the hate cards for the best deck are also going to just destroy you. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about uh, the deck and how it plays and uh, the, the base cards in it? I think we've probably covered it fairly well. At least, okay. uh, you know, the last... for this first go-through. Yeah, uh, the, we will, I, I'm sure, go more in-depth. We, as I said, are going to try to play some games with this. Uh, we're going to go into sideboard options, but right now we're, we're not going to do that on this episode because if we said, here's how you sideboard against show-and-tell... Well, we told you what Show and Tell is, but you don't know that deck yet. So after we go over that deck, then maybe we'll talk about more sideboarding. One thing I do want to do, though, on this episode is talk about budget. Ways to make this deck more budget, and ways that I've made it slightly more budget. I only run three natural orders instead of the full four. Uh, I feel like that's okay. That used to be the standard, because you know if you have two natural orders in your hand, the second one's dead. Because you have to sacrifice a creature to it, you can't keep doing that usually. Uh, and usually the first natural order is going to win you the game. So you don't really want to draw a lot of them. They're so good that most people are now running four, but running three is okay. I don't own two bayous, as we talked about in the budget episode. Uh, so I have one bayou, and I have one overgrown two. And that doesn't really hurt me at all. Uh, we, we went into it in fair detail, so I won't repeat it all here. But if I were missing that one bayou that I have, I'd be taking a lot of damage because of bouncing it for mana uh, and taking two every turn. Having just the one overgrown tomb has never cost me life, uh, never cost me a game since I've upgraded my fetch lands. I mentioned that the normal deck runs 10 fetch lands to fuel your Deathrite Shaman and to get everything. I only own 9 on color. Uh, I could throw in a 10th that's off color, say a black blue one, just to fetch up the bayous. I don't think that's worth it. So I run 3 fourths instead of the normal two. I also used to be running 3 guys' cradles and a crop rotation which is a respectable thing to do that works okay. And it's probably the easiest way to save a lot of money on this deck. Uh, the um, uh, crop rotation, one green mana, instant speed, sacrifice a land, search your library for a land and put it into play. So it can turn your forests or your fetch lands into a guy's crater. It also lets um, you do a, some nifty, tricky stuff with lands that have some abilities other than just making mana, and you can, you can do a toolbox for lands, too. I'm not sure that that's what this deck really wants to be doing, but 
I've seen people do value too. If you're if you're going that route anyway in order to save money on the guys' cradles, you know this this can give you an extra little edge too. Right. Say that you are going uh, quite budget and you have one guy's cradle and four crop rotations to try to get it up. At that point, you might want to look into some of these other uh, land things, um, uh, which you know, we can go into when we do the lands deck. Uh, yeah. which I, I'm going to say with a question mark forever now, partially because I hate the deck, and it, it, it feels right. It it feels right. It's a yeah. very bad matchup. Um, <laughs> but but you can also get some benefit, you know, if you have two guys' cradles or something, you play your guys' cradle for the turn. That's your land draw. Then you do a whole bunch of dirtling around with your creatures, and you have, and you, you want more. You want more mana. Well, use one green mana, sacrifice your guys' cradle that's tapped in play, Search your library for the next Gaia's Cradle and put it directly into play. So that's a way that you can have two Gaia's Cradles in the same turn, uh, just off of the one land drop and then the one fetch. So th- those are probably the, the easiest ways to save some money. Because this deck is it's not the most expensive, but it is not budget. Gaia's Cradle is running about one twenty-five, one fifty each. Yeah. Uh, that's dollars. Bayou, <laughs> dollars. Uh, <laughs> Bayou is um, about oh, one to two, one. One to one fifty. Uh, one is really cheap, yeah. but I, I've I've seen them for yeah, one sometimes. Yeah, usually those are beaten up ones, but yeah. Uh, Natural order is about twenty five each. Glimpse of nature is about twenty five each, uh, and that that's the money in the deck right there. Uh, that in the fetch lands, because yeah. as I said, if you want all ten, well, you're gonna have to go to some Zendikar fetch lands, which are you know forty bucks each. It 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 adds up, but. If you're running three national orders, if you're running three guys' cradles, if you're running one or even no bayous, you can cut a lot of that cost. All those budget cuts are going to make it worse. But, I mean, it's a tier one deck as is. If you cut one bayou, you're still a tier one deck. If you cut one natural order, you're still a tier one deck, I think. You cut down to one guy's cradle, you're <laughs> tier oh, three. You're, 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 yeah, that, that, that's rough. Uh, I think that might be about it. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? No, I think we're probably good there. Okay. Um, uh, well, uh, I, I am going to say, as, as I said, the the stock list slightly outdated now, but we're going to put a link to that uh, along with an article by Ross Miriam, which is excellent if you want to do some uh, short further reading. If you want to go really deep on ills, I'm going to put a link to uh, The Source. The Source is a website that is all about legacy, and all the decks have a full forum just on that deck, and that is the most complete analysis of elves I've ever seen. 248 pages as of today. So I'll link that also. Yeah. If you just want to read the primer, that's one page. I, I recommend it. But we'll link that as well. Plus, where else can you see Wirewood Symbiote and Elvish Visionary holding hands with big heart, heart balloons surrounding them? Because they are the best friends forever. That's, yes. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, we hope that this has been uh, not too long. We know that these are probably going to be longer episodes. Uh, we hope this has not been uh, too quick or too slow for y'all. Uh, feedback on that is welcome, especially as we kind of move into this second stage of the podcast now that we brought you up to speed on the format in general. But you can reach out to uh, us. Our, our, the email is legacyweaponpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'm jamie7keller at gmail.com or on Twitter. I'm at mtgdrewwalton at gmail.com. And uh, feel free to shoot us a line. Thanks for being with us, and until next time, remember, Kaya's Cradle is the best legacy weapon. Thanks. Thanks. Quick aside here. Um, so you know I built that um, 
Tiny Leaders deck helps. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and holy crap, super broken. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it would be. Oh my god, so broken. Uh, so anyway, like I have an EDH deck, right? Uh-huh. Did not include a Wirewood Symbiote. Okay. When I was building the Tiny Leaders deck, I was like, you know, whatever. I can pick one up for two bucks at the local store. I'll just, I'll, I'll do that. Uh-huh. I have seen the light. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> why, religion. Why would you be oh so god, good? Is so fucking, oh my god. <laughs> it, 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 it is. Wait, I'm glad you discovered this. So maybe you can you, tell that story during the thing. And if you don't, I'm going to put this as the show notes at the end because, oh gosh, right. it is so good. It is the best oh elf in the god. deck. Oh my god, it's so ridiculous. Oh, you want to attack me? Sure, bounce. Oh, I want to replay this? Bounce. Oh, I need to... I, oh, I'm out of mana and out of cards in hand, and my, my glimpse of nature is sitting there doing nothing. We have a solution for that. We have a solution for that, man. Mike was playing this, like, Geist of St. Trap Voltron deck with a bunch of, you know, like, Steel of the Godhead and such. He was like, oh, well, let me Green Sun Zenith for my Reclamation Sage. Blow up your thing. Bounce my reclamation stage, find my reclamation stage again, over and over and over again. I mean, it was just, ah, uh, 